The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello, and welcome to the 46th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 9th of April. I am your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure your character has plenty of oil for his hooded lantern while you are gathered at the meeting table. Uh, Our guest this week is Paris Crenshaw, and he is a freelance writer, editor, and game designer with credits in more than 15 publications from several publishers, including Paizo, Savage Mojo, Clockwork Gnome Publishing, I love that name, and Legendary Games. Uh, Most recently, he was the author of the first module, in the legendary beginnings line entitled Into the Feywield. Uh, since 2013, he has also been the assistant editor-in-chief for Wayfinder, the semi-annual fanzine for the Pathfinder campaign setting. Uh, he has been involved with tabletop RPGs since 1984, so you have plenty of experience under your belt, sir, uh, and has almost 10 years of professional freelancer experience. Paris is also an officer in the U.S. Navy with over 20 years of service, and he currently is living with his family in San Diego, California. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much. Uh, You wear many hats, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) Yeah. um, But it sounds like you're having a good time doing it, and that's the important I'm having a blast. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. Uh, our second in command here at the adventure party is Glenn. Uh, oh my God! How long have we worked together and known each other, Glenn? And I just totally whiffed your first name. That's all right, Bran. <laughs> <laughs> all is fair. All right. Uh, hey, your name is Glenn Bittner. I-, I hear that you're a movie reviewer on your YouTube show, The B Movie Bunker, and a creator of the uh, RPG uh, called Mist Runner. Is that true? That is true. Fear me. <laughs> How are you this evening? I am good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we're uh, as always. We uh, roundtable our game review that we start with and gaming news, and uh, we uh, then talk with our guest. And we are going to be talking about his new project, which is really exciting. And I gotta give a, a, a shout out to Gary Asselford, who. Uh, Boy, I can't remember which episode number. It was very early on, but uh, for those of you who have listened before or you want to go back into our archive, uh, he's the gentleman that put together the Girl Scout. Uh, I still have the Girl Scout badge, and I'm going to be putting it in a shadow box and hanging it up on on my wall, but he's the gentleman that created the Girl Scout uh, badge and the uh, very unique and uh, kind of a prepackaged 
what a Girl Scout uh, a game yeah. for all yeah, intents and purposes. A, yep, it's a kit for uh, for running a, a basically a workshop to teach Girl Scouts how to play role playing games. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, and out of the blue, Gary uh, sh- shot me an email and said, "Hey, uh, Paris is working on uh, his project here, tr- uh, Trial of the Apprentice, and this is specifically designed for young and uh, beginning uh, folks that are looking to get into gaming." And uh, <laughs> we jumped on it because it's always cool to see people reaching a new generation and and stirring up interest for role-playing games, which we obviously believe very strongly uh, develop great uh, problem-solving skills and social skills, and we think that that's very important. So uh, this is just an opportunity that we absolutely could not pass up. So we're very excited to, 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 to have you as a guest. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> uh, Glenn, I hear that you have a game review for us, and uh, this is one of my. This is like one of the hard. It's a word that you. It it's not pronounced how it looks at all, and it is Nordic. What is that name, sir? Idrazil. Yes. Uh, first of all, for those who don't know what Idrazil is, it is Norris, as Brad said, it is for the World Tree. Um, this game, fittingly enough, is a Norse theme. Uh, actually, the <laughs> players all take on the roles of the different Norse gods, Odin, Thor, Tyr, Frey, Heimdall, or Freya. And Fenrir and Jormungand and the fire giant Surt and goddess of the dead Hel and the trainer Loki are all, oh, and the cosmic dragon Nidhogg, I forgot about him. Um, <laughs> they're on the march towards Asgard, and you cannot let them reach Asgard. So... You need to fight them back. Um, and it's not just a simple thing of just, you know, go out and then punch Loki in the face, although that is fun. Um, <laughs> but we don't have a Hulk, so that way it's a little harder. Um, but you have to, on your turn, you have uh, different actions you can do. And you have three actions you can take out of a possible nine each turn. You can uh, ask the elves for help. And elves are, uh, when you attack someone, you roll a die. And an elf gives you a plus one on your die, but they're special because you can use them after you roll the dice if you want, as opposed to um, going and getting uh, basically some Vikings back from the underworld. You have to commit them to your die roll before you roll the dice. So elves are a bit more powerful, but they're harder to get. You can get one at a time. Vikings, you can hopefully pick more than uh, one. You reach into a random bag and draw them out, however you might also get Fire giants, who aren't any use at all, obviously. Um, you can negotiate with the Vanir, and the Vanir will uh, give you different boons during the course of a turn if you if you take them up on their thing. Or you can fight giants. Giants, uh, there's two reasons to fight giants. One is you can collect magic runes, which will give you benefits later in the game. Two, giants just kind of mess things up for you. They might, uh, they might lock you out of asking the elves for help, or... They might, uh, you know, make something harder when you're attacking uh, the other monsters like Loki and Surt. So you have to go around and beat them up. Of course, Thor has a bit of an advantage when he fights giants. Uh, and each god also, uh, well, not each god, but each, there are different weapons that you can get each one for a specific uh, enemy. So obviously Thor's hammer is really good against Jormungand because that's who Thor, you know, kills in actual uh, Norse mythology and dies in turn, but hopefully you won't die while fighting them back. 
Um, the game is just, it's really cool because every god has a special power, um, and you can play different ones, obviously, as the game goes on. It's also really freaking hard. <laughs> really hard. Really, really hard. Especially when the first time you play, you play on the hardest level possible, and you go, well, this game's impossible. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's uh, it's one to six players. You can play this one solo. Um, takes a about an hour to an hour and a half. The bad thing is, is that not currently available. What? It's not currently in print. You can well. find copies out there, but it normally retails for about seventy dollars, and they're hopefully bringing this one back. I mean, they, they say they are, but it's Z-Man Games, who is not always the most reliable when it comes to getting things back into print. Or printing them on time, sure. or you know, doing their job as a game publisher in general. <laughs> uh, I mean, they make great games, but they're just—it's there are there are distribution issues with them uh, quite frequently. And I mean, oh. and this game isn't—it's you know, it's compared to their other games like Pandemic and stuff like that. It's not as big a seller. One, it's got that hefty price tag, and two, not everyone, which to my surprise, is a fan of the Norse gods, and I can't figure out why that would be. I mean, Zeus dreams every night of waking up as Odin. But... <laughs> That's a very bold statement, sir. That's well, true. <laughs> Ares isn't qualified to carry Thor's jock. <laughs> How do you really feel, sir? I, I think I just said. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. No. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really challenging game, and you really have to uh, work together and and do things that fit the strength of your god. You don't want to, you know, if Thor Thor is good at fighting stuff because he gets a special bonus when he fights. So let Thor go do most of the fighting. Um, different characters, uh, I forget which one is. It's either Freya or Freya gets an extra action, so they can take four actions every turn instead of just the normal three. So okay, okay, it's uh, and you can also. Uh, you aid other players, so like if I have a whole bunch of Vikings and you're going to fight, I can give you some of my Vikings or some of my elves, and they can help you as well. So I don't have to like, if if it's someone's going to be going before me, it's like I have to fight a lot on my turn. On your turn, I need you to go get as many freaking elves and Vikings as you can because I'm going to need them when I because I got to push back all these different gods because there's different tiers of of Asgard with it that the enemies move through, and you can't let a specific number of them move through them. And you're drawing cards every at the start of every player's turn. You're drawing a card that moves one of these idiots forward. Sometimes sure. more than one if you're playing on more advanced levels. There are some cards that will move all six of them forward, which is Ooh. really annoying. And the closer they get to Asgard, the harder they are to beat back. The higher a number you have to roll in your on your attacks to push oh, them back. Sure. Okay. So it's uh it's definitely a challenge. So for those of you who are uh, watching us on YouTube currently, uh, we always use Board Game Geek to kind of show off what the uh, what the what the board game looks like, uh, be it pieces or people enjoying the game, and we're we're kind of flipping through some of those images right now. And uh, I gotta say that the the the, the figures for uh, for the impending force of doom to Asgard look uh, quite wonderful. Figures. So very. Well, I'm seeing some nice figures here. Uh, those... Are they not... My copy. 
Yeah, the the uh... no, those are D and D models. Oh, they are. God, you know what? I'm so busy trying to get the video uh, to go here. I'm not actually reading again. But uh, it's it's they actually just come with uh, their uh, cardboard towners. But the art is really nice on the board in general, and it uses a lot of the the runes from actual uh, ancient Norse. Why do they have Thundercats here? Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and they're just oh god, they're annoying. Freaking Fenrir, <laughs> all of them, all of them. Well, the, uh, oh, the, we're going to because we're evil. Whatever. <laughs> the art, the art on the board is is very, very, very colorful. Uh, yes. Very good. I, and uh, this one you said currently not in print. Currently not in print. When it is in print, it retails for seventy dollars. Okay, so if you manage to, and you know, we always say try to you know go to a local store uh, and try to find your games. Uh, in this particular case, you might not be able to. Uh, so if you do hit other online sources, know that the the base level. Uh, cost for this game is around 70 so you can kind of judge whether you're getting a good deal or you're getting taken for a ride so buyer beware and you have been warned so how many times have you said that you've you've played this already oh this one I've yeah. probably played this one at least at least a dozen times okay I've won it like three. <laughs> now is this like uh, I'm trying to think what is the Shogun game that you said you've never won I, the name escapes me oh now. Samurai Spirit thank you is this kind of like that? Is it a, is it possible to, to not win at all oh sure if you're not as you know amazing a person as I am of course you could, you could lose all the time <laughs> I, I always enjoy your modesty as well sir I try <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to boast too much in front of our guests. <laughs> fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Ah, <laughs> uh, a good game. Very good game. Check it out, and you know, for those of you who have listened in the past, we we've kind of spoke about you know, upwards of of seventy dollars for for a good quality game is not outside of the realm of of reality. So this is kind of at the at the higher end, but it sounds like it has a lot of replayability. Mm -hmm. It's a fun game to play. Uh, the the artwork is exceptional and it doesn't take, you know, 5 hours to play like the Game of Thrones board game that I always like to talk about. Uh, this is this is a pretty well-contained game that doesn't take too long to play. So, uh, you know, that's that sounds like a good game. Yeah, and it can be Thor. I well, heck yeah. Or Odin. Or, or Tyr. Odin. Yeah. Or Freya for the ladies. <laughs> who who wouldn't want to be that? Who would not? Freya's want pretty to be awesome that? in the game, so. Now, did you say that Freya is the one that gets the extra action, or is that... No, I I can't remember now. I it's, think it's, it's actually Fre Frey, her brother, Okay. Gets the extra actions. And I can't... Freya was the... She's the, the wife of Odin, correct? Mother yes. of Thor? Yes. Okay. I, I, I still kind of remember a little bit of my Norse mythology. Yay me. 
Uh, I wanted to ask you, Paris, as our guest, uh, have you are you a big board game player, or you? I mean, obviously you're into RPGs, but do you get an opportunity, or are you interested in board games? Yeah, I mean, we do some. I mean, we we do some of the more basic ones. Uh, my uh, my wife isn't a tabletop gamer, but you know, she likes uh, the, the board games every once in a while. We also like card games. Uh, we're big uh, Munchkin fans. Sure. Uh, uh, and then uh, the Pathfinder Adventure card game is one that we pull out every once in a while. My wife actually likes that one uh, and even enjoys the storytelling elements of that, but uh, but we haven't played that one in a while. We get really busy. She's very active in the PTA, and my daughters are 14 years old, so the evenings get pretty crammed. I uh, bet. I and, bet. And when I'm, unfortunately, I don't play games as much as I really would like to. I spend all my time writing, it seems. So <laughs> You're more on the creation of, side, yeah. Yeah, but it's important to balance that. I mean, you you gotta you gotta play some to be able to to continue, you know, writing good stuff. Um, so. Sure, and that's not unlike uh, an author. An author needs to uh, somebody who writes books needs to be reading books as well to. Right. Uh, to keep up on on the craft, so yeah, absolutely, yeah. that makes perfect sense. All right, well, thank you very much, Glenn, for for bringing that to our attention. You are quite That's welcome. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com/support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign, where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as one dollar. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com slash support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. On to the news. Now, this is interesting. Uh, I found this, and you know, we, we've talked about how uh, D&D 5th Edition has brought back Ravenloft. And they've brought back something else that... This is one of the the first books that when my parents actually like seriously understood that I was into D&D second edition <laughs> one of my christmas gifts was this book and I loved the cover so much it was so bright and and beautiful and it was this this older wizard and he's you know looking at this as i recall uh I remember that there was a a large door behind him. I wonder if I'm confusing my covers. I wish I still had the book. Unfortunately, time and and multiple moves made me kind of remove some things from my collection, and uh, I regret that one greatly. Uh, But it was one that uh, it brought me joy, and it was one of the only books. I was more of a player, not a DM, so... I read that book uh, at least twice a week, uh, just to to bathe myself in that in that world, and it was just so beautiful. Uh, and that book was the Unearthed Arcana, and uh, they've just released this month, uh, Unearthed Arcana. And here's the story about that. Uh, this month, Unearthed Arcana takes a look at a few new character options appropriate to Gothic horror. Uh, the Revenant subrace provides an interesting way to bring a character back from the dead, a useful option uh, if you've lost a character in the mists of Barovia. 
<laughs> which is a part of Ravenloft. Uh, the Monster Hunter and the Inquisitive are two new archetypes for the fighter and rogue, respectively, well-suited to the challenges of Ravenloft or any other gothic horror campaign. Uh, you can think of the material presented in this series as similar to the first wave of the 5th edition playtest. Uh, these game mechanics are in draft form, so this is just... This is them using the name Unearthed Arcana to give you an opportunity to uh, play around with some, some interesting facets that either they're working on uh, in this particular instance or... Uh, or just, you know, depending on what stage that they're working on it at, it seems like. Uh, they're highly volatile and may be unstable. If you use them, be ready to rule on any issues that may come up. Uh, they're written in pencil, not ink. For these reasons, material in this column is not legal in D&D organized play events. Uh, the material presented in the Unearthed Arcana will range from mechanics that we expect one day to publish in a supplement to house rules from our home campaigns that we want to share, uh, from the core system options to setting specific material. Once it's out there, you can expect us to check in with you to see how it's working out and what we can do to improve. So this is Wizards of the Coast uh, working on that, that two-way communication with their... Uh, with the people that play the game and uh, play test some interesting things that they are thinking about uh, making a legit part of the D&D world of 5th edition. So, Paris, as someone who uh, creates material for gaming systems, uh, have you done uh, like open play testing for or worked with uh, folks uh, doing open playtesting for possible additions to uh, Pathfinder or D&D or anything else that you've worked with? I haven't done any specific work with the uh, rule systems that uh, or the, the rules additions that had open playtest. Um, honestly, most of my early work, my first freelance work with Paizo uh, was all campaign setting material. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, Recently, I did get a couple of, uh, of writing jobs for some of their core line uh, products, um, but I haven't. They it, it wasn't anything that they were play testing. I do a little bit of play testing of the of the modules and that sort of thing uh, when I'm when I'm writing those into the Fey Wield. Uh, we actually ran uh, that adventure as part of a, a game day for our Girl Scout troop. Uh, with the dads and the daughters playing together. Uh, okay. So that got a bit of a play test, and I was able to incorporate the lessons learned from that uh, into the adventure before I turned it over to Legendary Games for their development. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Oh, oh I, I was just going to ask a, a, like a, a follow-up on that. How do you, like when you play test, how do you record results? Are you a pen and paper person? Are you do you just do you record like the audio of the game and and kind of go back and 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 kind of replay the events and see how things worked out? How do you, how do you prefer to do that? I tend to be more of a pen and paper uh, person. Although there's one technique that I a friend of mine told me about that I actually want to try the next time I get an opportunity to do an actual play test, which is instead of running the game and taking the notes uh, myself as I'm going along, get someone else to run it, and then sit as an observer. Oh, uh, sure. And watch how, how the game is played, because I know what I mean when I'm writing, at least most of the time. 
Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but when, when you're trying to convey that in, in a, a module, you want the GM to be able to read and understand what you're trying to get across. And if there's something that they don't understand, then you've kind of missed your mark. Sure. So having somebody else run it and see where the holes are, not necessarily having to step in, and that's the hard part, it's just being there as a silent observer, uh, but but seeing where they run into trouble and then making note of that so you can fix that after the fact is a, a valuable tool. Sure. So you get to kind of see how things work at at two levels, at the at the game master level and then as the players uh, experience the the information that they're being given, uh, whether that's uh, box text, you know, what's written within the campaign as a description. Uh, right. That's that sounds like a very like a very powerful way to do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying it next next time I can. Oh, wonderful! So, uh, for those of you who do listen uh, and you are into uh, creating stuff and you want to to play test it, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, put everything together and then sit back and have somebody else run the campaign for you and and take those notes to get the kind of the full experience of uh, whether you've done a good job and uh, clearly communicated uh, your intent for for the game. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great idea. I'll have to try that with when I do some stuff. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a million-dollar idea right there. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's... What is that exactly? You know, Superman is an extraterrestrial, so you may hear us talk about him on the Alien Invasion podcast. Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows. Find us at gncasts.com slash aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. We're going to do our Kickstarter spotlight and last time we spoke of Unbound RPG, which, pulling this up here, uh, oh, they're so close. They're so, so very close. Uh, this is a universal game system. Uh, it, uh, we kind of talked about, and we spoke with uh, uh, Chris Tregenza of 66 uh, Fireball, and uh, his universal system, and we, we've spoken of some others, and we, we've kind of like the idea of you being able to have an open world in which you are able to create something that may not be, I guess the best phrase for it is genre-specific. You could mix genres. You could do... Uh, steampunk fantasy you could you know try to mix things up and having a universal system may help with that there are some pitfalls to that but uh, if you are a savvy GM and you uh, do your due diligence and kind of look at things and play around with it uh, you might find a, a way to overcome some possible pitfalls that may come 
with uh, maybe the magic versus if you're doing a, a magic sci-fi um, open open world sort of a thing, how do you balance out the the rules to make sure that everything one side isn't overpowered the science or the magic in in that particular example? So. Uh, but the concept of having an uh, an open system like this, where you could lay whatever you want on top of it, is is really cool. And uh, Unbound RPG is one of those systems. Now, they are eleven days to go. They are currently at uh, twenty seven. Now, we're gonna do some some U.S. to pound conversion here. Uh, they are currently at. Uh, twenty-seven thousand five hundred ninety-eight dollars, and they're looking for thirty-one thousand seven hundred ninety-two U.S. dollars equivalent. Uh, there's eleven days to go, so there's a very high probability that they're going to hit that their goal, and and that would be really cool. Um, so we definitely wish them good luck. And again, that's Unbound RPG. Uh, you can take a look and see if uh, if this is is for you. Now, Glenn, you brought a new game to us called Raving Spire. So Raving Spire, yes. Tell us. Um, first, I have to say you have to watch the video because it has such a – for those older folks like us, when, when you had fantastic-type board games and the D&D TV commercials, they were so – in a, such a cheesy kind of over-the-top style – and that's exactly how they do their, their little promo video for this. Uh, what this is, Raving Spire, is a deck-building, rotating dungeon board game of swords, sorcery, and madness for one to six players. Um, they are looking for $7,500. With 18 days to go, they're currently at $35,592. <laughs> so when I picked this last week, because we didn't, do this last week. They were significantly lower on that amount that they had. That they had. But um, what this is is there's actually the guy who who wrote uh, one of the guys working on this is Corey Scanlon who uh, writes for uh, the Vorpal Chainsaw blog. This is done by Vorpal Chainsaw Chainsword, sorry not Chainsaw Chainsword blog and Chainsword Games. Um, and the game looks really really kind of cool. It's got this board that you actually rotate, the board spins, and you rotate the board uh, as you're moving through this dungeon, kind of collaboratively, you know, working together uh, to, to make your way through this dungeon. The and, board uh, looks... If I can interrupt, I'm sorry, if yeah. I can interrupt for just a second, for those of you who are listening to the podcast and you want to actually see the video of this, uh, go to youtube.com slash galacticnetcasts and look for this particular episode and uh, we, we're showing this, uh, it's a GIF that they're running right now on the page, and uh, you can actually see this in action where uh, they're actually rotating the board. It, it's really interesting, very interesting. Okay, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, and it just, I mean, you've got, you've got your different heroes that you have, and you have different upgrades like objects, weapons, special attacks, and... and uh, swords and whatever you that you give them to uh, basically increase their abilities to make them better at what they do. Now, I mean, there's tons of dungeon crawl board games and, and card games already out there, but this one struck me just based on the uniqueness of the board especially and the, the fun tone of their uh, promo video. 
Um, right now, it is uh, to, I mean, you can pledge a dollar and, and get heartfelt thanks, which is, you know, nice when you can't do anything else, but if you want to actually have a game to hold in your hands and to have your own round, rotating board pieces, then it's $60, gets you a copy of the game, as well as any stretch goals uh, shipped anywhere in the U.S. Estimated delivery is November of this year. Oh, wow. Yep. For those of you who live in Canada, you can get it on this for 80 bucks, <laughs> shipping it. If you're somewhere else uh, in the world, which from what I'm told, I mean, being American, I'm not positive, but I'm told there's a lot more in the world than just the United States. If, if you are one of those people, then uh, for $100, you can get it shipped anywhere in the world, which I know some people will go, well, that's not, that's really expensive. I'm like, it's a big game, and shipping overseas sucks, and it's probably partly because America hates everyone. Or at least we protect, <laughs> I mean, Where we did do, that we, come from? We, we do, you know, we, we do in some ways. Well, it's not that we hate, you know, we just like, well, if you want it, you're going to pay for it there, Danish boy. So, <laughs> I guess, Unfortunately, you know, they don't have this, things this set up. our so way, apparently, of trying to get, you know, money back for, you know, kicking the Germans' butts in World War II. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna charge extra postage. Who are you, and where's the real Glenn Bittner? <laughs> Sorry, I was reading conspiracy theory uh, stuff all day uh, the other day, on Thursday, my day off. Oh. And it was just amazing reading some of the stuff. So like everything now is just there's everything is everything is a conspiracy everything. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they were in a position podcast. to do a EU friendly no uh, shipping. Unfortunately, and and it is difficult to do. I mean, I, yeah. I I I do feel bad for, I mean, most Kickstarters that the ones that we see generally are generally U.S. or or uh, Canada based. Yeah, and that shipping overseas is pricey, and it is. At least in my experience, it seems to be. This is where the, the America hates everyone is that it seems to be much more expensive to ship stuff out of the U.S. than into it. Yeah. Because when I get Kickstarters from like England or there was one from France, it was like a third the price of what it, of what most Kickstarters charge to ship it to England or France. Sure. And I've, I've been to Europe. They have normal post offices, so it's not like you know the. It's not like they you know doing this by horse and buggy. I mean, they've got cars and, and planes and all that stuff, so I don't understand it. It's, it's just got to be some giant conspiracy to get money all in the U.S. That's what it is. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, the game just, it looks super, super cool. I just, I, I like the way that it looks. It's got a, and not, aside from just the, the quality of the board, the art looks kind of kind of nifty too on, on a lot of the little character cards that they have. Yeah, it almost looks like on, on some of these. Well, it, it looks like it's. I'm trying to get a blow it's, up of this. It's like photo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like somebody either took a photo, uh, and like made it black and white and kind of stripped things down just a little bit, or they did. I wanted to say rotoscoping. That's not right. That that's for motion picture. But they might have brought to you by Ralph Bakshi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they might have done a kind of a trace over, uh, well, kind of like Timothy Bradstreet style. Um, he would take a reference photo and then kind of work over it and make additions to it, um, in kind of doing a tracing. So it's hard to tell from uh, – I'm not seeing a, a close-up shot of, of the actual cards. It's a little 
away a little bit, but it, it looks like yeah. it, it's probably a, a photo of the characters with a, with a little bit of Photoshop manipulation to to make it look a little bit more aged and uh, monotone in color. Yeah, and for those who know, who are all about the stretch goals, um, they've already unlocked a few of those. Yeah, just every a few. every full game backer gets another five sealed endgame spire cards, doubling the number of unique possible endings. Uh, they unlocked uh, the a rulebook worthy of Raving Spire, filled with additional art and Vorpal world detail. Comic book Sedlux rulebook will make immersion into the world of Raving Spire complete. Twenty thousand dollars, the tower grows, and at that level, they'll be able to make the rotating board three dimensional, making the climb to the spire even more of an adventure. And the one that should sell anyone on this, aside from it being Norse themed, uh, is that. At 25, they unlocked the rumors of time-traveling gunslinger lost in the tower come to life. Adds a new tower card, two new adversary cards, two new weapons, two new objects, two new relics, two new dungeon cards, two new armor cards, two new loot cards, two new chaos cards, and one new foe. All originating from mysterious time known as the Old West. So that's got me. It's like Gosh, and, the and gunslinger in a dungeon. That's cool. If they get to the $50,000 level, which... It, yeah, it, I, I hope they do. Uh, I really do. Uh, if they hit the fifty thousand dollar level, they're going with a wooden box as opposed to a cardboard box, which that yeah. that's that's ambitious and uh, would be very beautiful. And for these different, like the the three D rotating game board, they have a video for that. So they at least I haven't watched the video of this. Uh, but they either have a concept or they've actually, you know, they, they've built a version for you to be able to get a feel of what it looks like. And they also made a video for the wooden box. So they have, have a proof of concept version of that as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, go to Kickstarter and look specifically for, do a search for, uh, gosh, Raving Spire. That's Raving Spire. From Vorpal Chainsword Games, and they're out of Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin, because that's where <laughs> there seems to just be an overabundance of game designers. <laughs> now, uh, uh, Paris, we had a, an episode previously, and this is a, a kind of a declaration and uh, to let Paris know where things are at, and this is going to segue into a question to Glenn. Um, they have. Uh, have you ever heard of Protospiel? I have heard the ter- I've heard the name. But, okay. um, now, they're like groups that uh, come together and uh, folks bring their uh, early versions of games to play test and um, okay, put yeah. it out there and kind of work on the mechanics and see how things are going. Uh, I'm going to segue now into the question uh, to Glenn. Uh, you've done these proto spiels. Have you heard if Raving Spire was in one of these proto spiels, I did not hear if it was. I was actually, okay. I was going to ask Keith, one of our former guests, or uh, Nick. Keith, Keith Mateka, yes. Yes, Keith Mateka or Nick uh, Bentley, um, and see if they have had any uh, anything with this, just because of the fact that everyone in Madison knows each other, they have to. It's not that big a city, right? <laughs> right. That's what, that's what people tell me all the time when. Yeah. You know, say, oh, you're from Wisconsin. You know Bob, like. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> There's one Bob out of the five and a half million people. You, Yep, and I know yep. him. We've got that. 
<laughs> but it's such an unusual concept that I think that this would be something that you would ask Keith or Nick, and they'd go, oh, yeah, Raving Spire. Um, hopefully. Hopefully they don't go, oh, yeah. Yeah, Raving we hope it's a good <laughs> oh. Um, but, it, I mean, just looking at this, the, the concept seems really – it's way outside of the box to, to use a almost tired cliche, but I mean, it's, it, it, it's unusual and in a good way, uh, looking at how this, how this works, um, to be able to, you know, I was looking at this as, as you were talking and I was thinking about, uh, the doctor who episode where he's, he's trapped and, uh, everything rotates while oh, he's yeah. in this particular place. Uh, this is towards the end of, of last season of Doctor Who, if you watch Doctor Who. Um, and this just kind of reminded me of that. The the This shuffles around. You, you move each of these. It looks like you can move uh, at least two of the center rings, uh, two or three of the center rings uh, for this as, as, you, as you play the game. So it seems very, very interesting. So... All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Glenn. And Absolutely, sir. Like we said, it's got 11 days left to go as of today, April 9th. Or, I'm sorry, 18 days. I was, I was thinking of Unbound. Unbound has 11 days. Raving Spire has 18 days left to go. Uh, this is definitely a go. They're well over their initial backing goal of 7,500. They've, uh, they're... Uh, five. They've gone five times over that amount, essentially. Um, so it's definitely happening. So if you are interested in a game like this, uh, definitely get on board. You're you're going to get a copy of this. So it's unusual and interesting, and something probably very worthwhile to add to your game library. All right. Uh, we're here to talk with Paris Crenshaw, like I had mentioned much earlier. You've heard his voice through throughout this particular episode, and uh, he is working on, or he has put together, and is kickstarting his Trial of the Apprentice, and it is a Pathfinder and 5th edition D&D saga for all ages. And this is specifically designed for young and beginning entry-level Dungeon Masters, Game Masters, to uh, to get on board with Dungeons & Dragons or, or Pathfinder. So let me ask you, uh, Paris, how did this come to be? Oh, wow. Um, well, uh, first of all, thanks for letting me come on and talk about the project. It's something that, uh, that I'm really passionate about. And fortunately, fortunately Legendary Games has uh, joined me in the passion of working on this project. They, uh, they're they the ones that are kind of giving me the voice and the opportunity to, to get this out. But I've really been working on this project for several years now. Um, my daughters, I, I may have mentioned already, they're 14 years old. Um, I've been playing games with them, uh, role-playing games with them since they were probably seven or eight years old. Um, and, you know, I started them off on games like Fairy Tale Deluxe and some other games that are aimed specifically at, uh, at the really younger players. But when you look at our community, um, like it or not, we're getting older. Um, <laughs> and 
and trying to make sure that the hobby stays vibrant for a long time, we need more people who are playing, and particularly new players and, and younger players. And as we get older, as designers and writers, we tend to write things that we like and that we're familiar with. Um, and when, uh, when the beginner box came out for the uh, Pathfinder, uh, I really seized on that and thought, wow, this is really cool. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that Paizo's products, uh, a lot of the other third-party publisher products, are really cool, but they're not aimed at younger players. They're, there are themes that are much darker. Uh, they tend to be more uh, complex, uh, morally gray in a lot of situations. Sure, yeah. And you know, I knew that you know, at the time, I, you know, I was thinking my kids were about 10, and you know, there were there are books that that are really great. I love writing for them, but not everything that we write can be put in front of a ten-year-old without the parent really screening through it and making sure that they're prepared for some conversations that might be a little bit awkward for some people. Sure. Um, and so I wanted to see if I could put together something that kind of served a couple of purposes. One, something that a kid who's ten years old, eleven years old, the age I was when I first got started with D and D. Um, could pick up and start running a game fairly easily. Um, and then also uh, have a, 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 you know, adventures that, uh, that a parent would be able to get their kids together and run for them, you know, uh, as kind of a, a family game night kind of, kind of game. Um, you know, whereas, you know, instead of just doing a board game, which is great, but having the opportunity to get the full, whole family playing a game uh, uh, an adventure instead of just doing a, a, a board game. So that was my idea, um, and I got to talk to some folks, uh, Lisa Stevens and Ryan Dancy, uh, at uh, one of the Paizo cons that I was able to attend, got some advice from them, and started working on it. And so over the years, I've kind of been putting together ideas, and when we did the... Uh, we talked about Gary's Dungeon Scouts. Our Girl Scout troop did that uh, did that uh, that workshop with him, and our girls loved it. It was great. Um, and the girls got together and said, "Hey, we want to do another one of these adventure scenarios." Um, but you know, we brought in the dads, and so that was kind of where things happened. Was I started putting together an adventure, and as a GM, unfortunately, I, I prepare as a GM kind of similar to the way that I write as a freelancer. Um, I, I over-prepare. Uh, <laughs> so when I finished and uh, had we, we had gone through this, I had a manuscript for an adventure. And I kind of joked about it on Facebook, and Jason Nelson, who's a friend of mine, uh, saw it and said, hey, do you want to publish this with Legendary Games? And that's what Into the Fey Wheel became. Uh, and so they thought this was great. I loved it, you know, this idea of, of adventures aimed toward new players. Um, and really what we're focusing for is, you know, we say that it's for all ages because we really are not just aiming at young players. Uh, these are adventures that anybody of any age can really enjoy. And even experienced players, I think, will get something out of them because I kind of went back to some of the old classic tropes of modules, you know, that we played when we were younger. Sure. Uh, I I didn't I didn't shy away from those uh, those things 
you know, over time, obviously as freelancers, we want to be able to create new and different ideas and introduce people to new concepts. But if you think about the new players, they haven't seen all those things. Yep. And so it is new to them, and it kind of makes the experience, it, it brings us all together of having similar experiences, even if, you know, not even if we didn't play or they didn't play uh, Tomb of Horrors or uh, <laughs> Deserts of Desolation or something like that, you know, um, there are some elements there that are kind of similar. Um, and then, of course, I tried to keep things very uh, cut and dry, uh, very black and white. You know, the bad guys are bad guys because they're bad. The good guys are good guys because they're good. And you don't really, you know, you can put some gray in it if you want, but it's not there automatically, and so parents can use that to to kind of turn the the volume up as as they want, whatever their kids are comfortable with, and whatever they're comfortable with. Sure. Uh, you know what's very interesting is uh, Glenn and I have a mutual friend uh, named Mark, and uh, his boys are at that age as your daughters, and uh, he has been trying to find kind of introductory games because he hasn't run a whole lot of games and he wanted his boys to experience uh, role-playing. And uh, he had been asking for some adventures uh, that he could, you know, possibly some recommendations for kind of uh, beginning entry-level games uh, to, to play. And we definitely passed uh, this along, along to Mark um, awesome. as something that he should check out. Uh, and because he's doing, I believe that he's doing Pathfinder. Yes. Um, so, I mean, this this uh, yeah, absolutely fits right into the wheelhouse of what he's trying to do. So, um, oh, and, and we tried to make sure at the beginning of this to stress that this isn't just for, for young players. This is for new players. And like you had mentioned earlier, introducing Shades of Grey can also add complexity to... Um, the preparations that a DM may make. Um, you know, as as somebody running a game, you know, sometimes you have to look at the material that you're given and, and make those decisions. You know, uh, how are my players going to react to such and such decision? Uh, is this uh, beyond the comfort level of my players? Uh, and and those are extra things that they need to think about. And having something. That, that removes some of that gray and keeps things kind of simpler and streamlined uh, so you don't have to take time to, to make those decisions and, and, you, can, and you can move ahead uh, knowing that you don't have to on the fly try to figure that out is, is wonderful. So um, just to be clear, this isn't just for young players. This is for new players as well. So, And this yeah. is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, you know, and, and, and that's kind of the other, the other part of it, talking about your friend looking for adventures. Um, you know, the, the beginner box is great, um, but, you know, Paizo's objective is to get people move toward the core rules, and so they're, they're not focusing on splitting the, the community into beginner box players and core rules players. They want everybody eventually to become a core rules player. But um, for folks that are looking for adventures that kind of use those simplified rules, there really isn't much out there. And that's one of our objectives was to was to support um, that kind of play. The you know and 5e is kind of the same way. They you know the, the adventure modules that are out there for fifth edition um, 
you know, tend to be more on the complex side, just, you know, sure. just story-wise and, and, and combat-wise and other stuff. But, um, you know, and as far as 5th edition, yeah, I, I, I'm a Pathfinder RPG designer. I'm not as familiar with 5th edition. And so what Legendary Games has done is they're taking my manuscript and handing it over to people who really know the 5th edition rules and doing that conversion to make sure that the uh, th that we're not missing anything by trying to take Pathfinder rules assumptions and apply them to 5th edition. That's got to be great to have that kind of support to, to open up the stories that you're trying to tell and have that available to systems outside of, of Pathfinder. That's got to feel pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, I wanted to mention for, for folks, this isn't just one adventure. There are actually five adventures yes. in this. It is a yep. five-part adventure. So when, when you invest in this, you're not getting just one module. You're getting essentially five, and it's all a part of the same, the same story. So uh, with that in mind, if you could... If you could give us just a brief synopsis of how this adventure sort of starts, what's uh, just a little bit about the world and what kind of kicks things off for the players, what gets their play the, the players into this adventure? Sure. Um, the setting itself, um, you know, is kind of a. I tried to make it something of a generic setting to a certain extent uh, because obviously we want it to be portable and if, for for GMs to to put it in whatever world they want it in. Um, but the, the, the default setting um, is a place that I call Terralian. Uh, the kingdom that this takes place in is, is, is a, the kingdom of Threll. Uh, the players start off with what seems like you know, standard uh, adventure scenario. Their town, where they're staying, whether they're uh, citizens of the village or, or visitors, uh, their town is attacked by orcs. And um, uh, it's a brazen attack. And uh, they uh, are asked by the local sheriff to uh, go and find out why these orcs attacked and, and bring them to justice. And in the process of, uh, of getting this assignment, they also find out that the orcs took something of great value that one of the local villagers wants back. And so it's kind of a twofold mission of getting rid of the orcs and finding this, this item. And that launches the player characters into uh, a... Uh, a mystery of why the person who, uh, uh, or you know, why the orcs wanted this item, uh, what they were going to do with it, and then um, what's so important about this uh, item. And so, as they go along, they uncover more mysteries about uh, some some mysteries about the world that they're in. Uh, they get to interact with different people from uh, you know, the the like I said, a kind of a more uh, uh, not primitive, but uh, uh, more lower population village to a major city. Uh, they get to explore some ancient ruins uh, that have mysteries of their own and dealing with fey creatures. Uh, and so the story basically kind of covers a lot of the, pretty much every location that, uh, that you know, our, our traditional adventures are supposed to cover. There's forest adventures, there's city adventures, there's underground adventures. Um, I haven't hit water adventures yet. That probably will have to come in a different uh, a different campaign. But um, uh, but there's the setting itself is designed to provide that. I, instead of going with a traditional uh, medieval fantasy style setting, I wanted to give uh, Terralian a different flavor. 
and so it actually has more of a colonial era feel. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you. Uh, uh, I'll ask you later on where where that particular bit came from, but please go ahead. Oh sure. Yeah. So um, so there. Although I don't present it yet, we haven't gotten that far yet um, in in the setting. Obviously, that kind of uh, historical era, uh, you're involving things like uh, flintlocks and and firearms of primitive nature. Uh, I don't introduce that into this setting because they tend to be a little bit more complicated uh, in the Pathfinder rules. Um, but we will be providing that uh, one of our stretch goals um, for the for the Kickstarter. Uh, which I should say is uh, our, our Kickstarter is, is funded now. Uh, yes. We've met our funding goal, um, but we're pushing on toward uh, the uh, the second stretch goal. Our first stretch goal we met, um, and that was to provide a PDF uh, folio of the maps and art uh, for the campaign. Everything that's in the compilation will be uh, provided to uh, to folks who have uh, backed at that level. Um, and uh, the, the next funding goal uh, will be uh, for me to, uh, to write up and, and add some uh, a gazetteer of the setting for uh, for the for the for inclusion in the compilation, and that will give you a little bit more uh, understanding of how uh, the world works and, and where these adventures are taking place. Okay, you mentioned uh, the colonial era kind of feel. That where uh, is that like a an interest of yours? Uh, are are you interested in that like the colonial history and and the weaponry of that period? Is that why you included that, or what brought that about? It, it is. Um, I'm not a. I wouldn't call myself a history buff or colonial history buff. I was raised in Virginia, um, and oh, okay. so um, I'm. You know, I, I was born uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, where Thomas Jefferson founded UVA. And, uh, you know, I, I actually worked in one of the historic taverns there uh, when I was uh, in college on, on breaks. Uh, so I had to wear the whole, you know, the colonial garb and all that stuff and, <laughs> and okay. serve traditional foods and that kind of stuff. And so it, there, there's a familiarity there for me with some of the, the basics. I mean, I, and I, I've enjoyed uh, trips to Jamestown and Colonial Williamsburg. And those kinds of settings, uh, to me what it really comes down to is that I'm familiar with those settings. And I think that um, in as people of the modern world, that kind of feel is actually more comfortable for a lot of players. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to figure out how people lived in a feudal society than it is to figure out how they lived uh, in a colonial uh, government society. Um, that being said, there was a lot of stuff going on in the colonial era that um, goes into some of the things that I was talking about that, that from a, a moral standpoint is kind of difficult to deal with. There were things that happened in the colonial era that, um, that obviously are um, not things that I, wanna, I wanted to touch on in the game. Um, and so I took the feel, the, the dress, the architecture, the technology and combined it with fantasy, and then put it in a place that has no relation to Earth history. Sure, okay. Uh, and some of the reason that, you know, that the things are able to progress the way they are is, is, is part of the mystery of the setting. Um, you find out fairly early on um, in, or you will find out in the Gazetteer, that um, this land, this continent of Turalian, um, is completely uncivilized. Um, which is strange because about 
1,500 years before the stories of the, of the setting start, um, there was a thriving civilization on that continent, and hmm. it just disappeared. Uh, there was a period of several hundred years where the, uh, the people couldn't get to this continent. They, there, was, there was something happened, and it basically wiped the continent clean. And so uh, part of the, the reason that people want to explore there is to figure out what actually happened. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's this kingdom of Threll is pretty much the only civilization on the continent, and they can't expand very far because there are barriers um, in terms of monsters and other problems that are keeping their, their kingdom from getting any bigger. And so part of the adventure could be going out and exploring these lands and finding out what else is out there, or you can stay at home and there's plenty of things for people to do within the kingdom itself as well. Sure. Now, the missing civilization, is that at all partially inspired by the the missing Roanoke colony? You know, I hadn't thought about it, but it's entirely possible. Um, okay. You know, the, it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those things, uh, you know, I think it, it, every setting should have kind of one of those big mysteries that never sure. gets told. Um, or or doesn't get told for a very very long time. Um, so I'm holding the, the the what of what happened kind of close to my chest. But, oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but it is uh, it is something that that probably I mean the, that the concept of a missing colony and, and losing people uh, who were exploring I think is uh, is kind of a, a big part of of what drives adventures uh, in the adventurous mind. Sure, absolutely. Uh, looking at, you know, like uh, like Paris has said, this is funded. Uh, there are other bonus uh, uh, add-ons uh, that you can get for uh, this, and there's also uh, bonus goals that uh, are yet to be unlocked. And uh, like uh, like Paris mentioned, they're very interesting and and wonderful uh, add-ons uh, for this particular game. So I, I really hope that you you know, blow past that, that $12,000 goal so that you can unlock everything that you have at least listed on your page here. And it looks like you've kind of left some things open for uh, other expanded uh, bonus goals as well, <clears throat> if yeah. I'm reading this correctly. Correct. Now, yeah, I mean... Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. I was, um, I was, as we get, you know, as we, you know, if we can get past our next $10,000 goal, which is the Gazetteer material... Uh, then we'll unlock. We'll we'll reveal what the what the next goal is going to be after the uh, the heroes of the Sicarian Order, uh, which is our twelve thousand dollars funding goal. And that um, yeah, that's awesome. As we as we achieve those individual goals, the next goal, then we release the the next one that's coming afterward. And it looks like uh, looking at your your pledge levels here, uh, if you go at the the thirty dollar level. That gets you a PDF compilation of all five of the adventure books. So we mentioned that this is a five-part adventure. If you hop right. in at the thirty-dollar level, you get all of those, uh, the, all of those adventures in either Pathfinder or Fifth Edition. So that's correct. Uh, you can do the ten or the six-dollar, but that gives you just like the the first adventure book for uh, Fifth Edition or Pathfinder, um, and. Uh, which uh, the Bandit's Cave is the name of that particular, the, the first adventure. So if you uh, get in at the $30 level, you get everything uh, in yes. the PDF form for either Pathfinder or 5th edition. So 
please check this out because this is really, really fascinating, and uh, I, I really, I really, and I'm looking through. I'm gonna. I don't know why I'm not sharing the scram. I'm being greedy here and not sharing this with everybody else. But the artwork here uh, that we're seeing. You mentioned the colonial style, and here it looks like we have, uh, I would say, a, a, an alchemist or a, a... He's actually a wizard. He is a wizard, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, he actually, that is Ithamar Ruggles. Uh, he is uh, a central figure in the, in the first adventure, uh, the Bandit's Cave. Um, he's the guy that actually gets robbed um, and wants you to go oh. find something that belongs to him. So. Oh boy, you know when a when a magic user gets robbed, yeah, <laughs> things can go horribly wrong because something of great power or uh, or something that should not be released to the world will get uh, will cause havoc. So that's kind right. of cool. But I, I I love that period of dress with the tricorder hat and and the coat and 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 the buckled shoes. I, I just that that to me is 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 absolutely wonderful and a great mix of of fantasy and colonial. Um, that is beautiful. Who is the artist for, for this project? Um, we have lots of really good artists. Okay. Uh, we have um, Beatrice Pelagati. Um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. Uh, we've got um, Jesus uh, Vionis, uh, what, uh, Annika Marr, um, Daniel Robinette. Uh, we've got them, the, the team is listed actually on the page. Uh, we've got a lot of really great artists. Um, and uh, I, I'm, it's super exciting for me. This is one of the first times where something, you know, as a freelancer, I'm so used to, uh, to being assigned a topic um, no, and sure. writing what somebody, else, what somebody else wants me to write. And so being able to see these characters that I've come up with turned into, uh, into the art uh, is so exciting. Um, we've got some excellent uh, mappers. Um, uh, Michael Toomey, I think, is doing a lot of the maps for us. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else, but I know uh, I know he's doing a significant number of them, uh, and so that in and of itself is great. We're going to have some great, like I said, the PDF compilation of maps is going to be great for people who are running uh, online games. If you want to run it uh, via D20 Pro, I know I do a lot of games by D20 Pro, uh, and as a matter of fact, that's one of our backer goals. Uh, we're trying to get uh, more folks to to like the Legendary Games page, uh, and so they're uh, I agreed that if uh, we got to a certain point, uh, right now uh, we're, I think, at 1,437 backers. Uh, when we get to 1,450, um, I will be running, a, somebody gets an opportunity for me to run a, a session of The King's Curse, which is the second adventure uh, via D20 Pro. Um, and we'll be producing the files to support D20 Pro for running uh, the adventure as well, so that uh, you know other folks can do that at a later date. But um, so little things like that that are fun uh, for just to help us, can, you know, encourage people to get the word out. Um, you've, it's funny you mentioned that you know the idea that Ithamar looks a little bit like an alchemist, and you know that's one of those classes that Pathfinder came out with uh, that I, I think fits really well with the setting. Uh, and if we can get 200 backers, uh, Linda Zayas Palmer, uh, who does a lot of work with gaming for kids, uh, will be doing a simplified beginner version of that class for uh, for the compilation as well. Okay, and uh, I did. Uh, I just like the Legendary Games page. Now, for folks that are going to Facebook, there are a few with that name. So just to make sure that you're on the right one, 
uh, it's uh, Legendary Games, and their the URL on Facebook is Make Your Game Legendary. That is the that gets you to the Legendary Games actual Facebook page. So uh, go there and and like the page and and help Paris uh, along and unlock some more good stuff for this this. This is oh, this is so wonderful. I really, and looking at this too. Uh, if you jump up to the fifty dollar level, uh, you get the uh, the hardcover print compilation plus right. the PDF in yep. either Pathfinder or or fifth edition D and D. So uh, fifty dollars for five adventures is a heck of a bargain. So uh, yeah, I, please check this out because this is absolutely wonderful. And one of the things, you know, the uh, the higher levels, the $150 and $200 pledge levels, uh, our, our business manager, Rachel Ventura, uh, managed to go out and find some really cool stuff. The um, uh, She's found these color-changing pencils, and, you know, uh, we'll have special dice and a mapping pad and, uh, you know, a bag to put it in. So kind of a, a, a ready oh, sure, uh, yeah. game kit. Uh, to go uh, with the with the higher level stuff. So and of course they'll have the, the legendary games logo on them, uh, and uh, so that's that's something else that can be fun, uh, particularly for beginner players to have stuff like that on hand. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I wow, this is just this is so wonderful, and it such a great concept. Uh, a good way to, to to get a new generation of gamers or people that have uh, dragged their feet and have been interested in in running a game but have been kind of nervous about it uh, to know that you've specifically constructed something that is is a nice entry level way to get your feet wet into running a game. Uh, it's it's always good to to have something that. Because I, I know my first time I ran a game, I I like went full throttle ahead, and I was so nervous, you know. And this is I was doing a, a White Wolf uh, game in a uh, a setting that I kind of modified, where people are actually hunting the the vampires and some of the unknown creatures. Um, they don't have full knowledge of of these individual creatures, so I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. So I really bit off a lot uh, <laughs> yeah. to this game, and I was so nervous. So it's nice to know that you've you've really streamlined this and made this as stress free as possible to get into a game. Uh, and to run it and and have people have a good time and it's unique in in how you've kind of hybridized fantasy with this colonial setting. So I mean, it's something new that I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, so that's that's wonderful too. It's going to be a unique experience playing this game. So I hope so. I mean, I, I you know we try to include some things and did some things that a little not a little different from standard modules. Uh, you know the printed modules or published modules that you see um, to make it easier. Uh, you know I've got uh, through m- almost every encounter when you have a monster, uh, the stats for that monster are in the encounter, um, and so that's not something that you always see. A lot of times you'll see it referenced. You know, go to the bestiary or whatever. And I didn't want the GM to have to flip through too many pages to go and find the information that was necessary for running that encounter. Um, I also include sidebars. I mentioned in the in the description that's in the description of the, of the Kickstarter where we have sidebars where we talk about okay, here's why the dungeon is designed the way it is, um, and you know so that as a GM getting ready to run create their own stories, they have a sense of okay, well, well what works and how can this be better? Um, 
you know, one of my favorites is you know the, the concept of uh, making sure that the the connection or that the that the um, that there's a way to kind of corral the players. Um, it's it's so easy for really any player to kind of run off on a tangent. As a, <laughs> as a, as an experienced GM, you know you learn to roll with that. But as a, as a younger you know new GM, that is you know while you're still trying to learn the rules, it's challenging to keep the players corralled. So you know have you know the the, the initial the cave you know the, the, the in the in the bandits cave. Um, you know, obviously, there's a cave involved there somewhere because that's why it's in the title. But um, <laughs> you're not, not giving anything away. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the idea is that you know that cave is designed in a certain way to help the players and the GM learn together. We're focusing more on what can my character do instead of what do I ha- what what should I be doing next? Um, sure. And then as the adventures go on, because each adventure takes you through a different level, uh, you know, it's first through fifth level. Um, and the more experienced your players get, the more experienced the GM gets, the more complex the story becomes, um, and the more freedom the players have to kind of choose which direction and when they're going to do certain things. Um, sure. And and then you know, so by the time they get through the fifth adventure, the idea is that they've uh, you know they've learned a lot, and you know there's some specific uh, sidebars that talk about how to deal thing with things specifically for younger players. Um, you know the, um, you know there are undead being a classic element of, of role playing. You know how do you deal with undead for very young players? Can you introduce them or not? Um, if you do, what's the best way to do it? That kind of thing. Sure, and and I do have to say one of one of the things that uh, is so important in learning, and I think it's one of the things that that people sometimes forget, and and and. Sometimes we as parents joke about young children asking the question, why? Why is the sky blue? Why is this? And, and their brains are trying to learn and absorb things, so they're asking questions to understand, and that's how we learn. And I think that that's absolutely wonderful that you've created these sidebars to teach people why. Why is where you, you learn. It's where you master, uh, where you master anything and to give people that opportunity to understand and not just spoon feed them and say here it is you have a sidebar to actually teach them why you structured this the way you did and the importance of it and and how it can actually help and benefit not only just the GM but the party itself and I think that that's absolutely wonderful that 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 you've done that and made that very much a part of of the books that that's absolutely wonderful and brilliant thank you <laughs> it's an excellent <laughs> teaching tool that you, that you've put into this, which I think is 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 critical. And uh, you know, as like when I started out, I tried to think about all the games that I played before, and I just kind of plowed ahead. And after doing the first session, I'm like, oh, some of that stuff didn't work. I wonder why. <laughs> you know, and then I started to do a little bit of research, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand why that, that why that didn't work at all. So I think that's wonderful that you're including that in this to 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 instruct folks as to um, when they actually go off on their own, take the training wheels off, as it were, that they'll have this knowledge that they've been exposed to to create their own adventures later on if they decide to do so. I think that's that's a very important teaching tool, and that's awesome that you've included that. 
Uh, well, I, I I would like to wrap things up because we've we've gone we we we've taken a lot of your time here, and I would love to actually have you back on Paris because I, with your experience as a as a freelancer and and writing for uh, other stuff for Paizo and everything else, I would love to have you back on and and talk about uh, some other aspects of your career if if you're cool with that. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back. Okay, awesome. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here, everybody. Uh, you can find out more about our meetings and show notes uh, for each of our meetings, uh, contact information, and subscription links by going to gncasts.com slash adventure. Uh, you can find and follow us on Twitter or join our Facebook group by using the Facebook search term Galactic Net Netcasts. And you can also find all of our social media outlets by clicking on the links uh, on our website. You can find our YouTube channel, or if you're already here, hi, um, but if you're listening to the audio podcast, you can find us at youtube.com slash galactic netcasts. Uh, if you're using iTunes or Stitcher, uh, we'd ask that you just take a moment to uh, either review or give a, uh, a starred rating if you're using iTunes or a thumbs up, thumbs down on the particular episode. Uh, and if you're using iTunes, uh, you know, give a little write-up as to what you think. Uh, you can also uh, email us at adventure at gncasts.com and give us a little bit of feedback of, uh, of what you what you liked uh, if anything that we've talked about have, has spurred any other questions or comments on games that you've played uh, we'd love to hear from you again uh, the email address is adventure at gncasts.com uh, you can also call or text us at the number 805 328 3966 again 805 328-3966. Uh, if you do leave a text message, depending on your plan, there might be a charge applied to that. Uh, but you can either leave us a, a voice message or text that number. Um, we have a lot of different shows. You can check out at gncasts.com. Uh, we cover a, a wide variety of, of topics. Uh, check it out. We've got a number of shows. Uh, gncasts.com. Uh, Paris, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and talking about your Kickstarter. Again, uh, you've got 13 days left to go for Trail of the Apprentice, a Pathfinder and 5th edition saga for all ages. Uh, you've hit your goal, and congratulations for that. that that's awesome. And I really Thanks. hope that you that you blow past even further to offer more stuff uh, for your interesting world that you put together. Where can people find out more about you, uh, what you do, and more about Trail of the Apprentice? Uh, well, Trail of the Apprentice, uh, obviously the uh, the Kickstarter page. Uh, just do a search for Trail of the Apprentice. It's the only Kickstarter that uses those terms, so uh, it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, you can learn more about uh, the Legendary Beginnings line and the other products from Legendary Games uh, at makeyourgamelegendary.com. Uh, that's the Legendary Games website. Uh, and then uh, for, for me personally, um, the, probably the best place to find me is on Facebook. Uh, it's uh, uh, Facebook.com slash ParisCrenshaw.writer. And uh, feel free to come by and like my page. Um, I try to get something up there every once in a while, but uh, I'm not as prolific as I could be. But when I do have things that are coming out or I know about cool things that are happening, I'll share information there as well. All right. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it and had a great talk with you, and we'd love to have you back. 
Thanks. I'd love to come back. I'll try not to ramble too much. I, I, uh... you know what? <laughs> no, and, and and please don't take that the right. I it wasn't rambling. It was it was amazing stuff, and I felt like I was starting to to ramble a bit and gushing about this because I'm I'm, I'm really I, I'm so excited for any opportunity for passing on the torch to younger or recruiting new people to be interested in gaming because I think there's a certain excuse the phrase magic to the first time that you play. You know, it's something brand new and it's so exciting and you get your first chance to be immersed into a world you might not have ever thought of being a part of and being actively a part of interactive storytelling, not just having a story read to you or anything you watch or listen to, to actually be have an active hand in creating an adventure that a group of people are telling together is such an awesome and powerful and, and, and such a great experience. And everything that it can teach you uh, in your day-to-day life, problem solving, working together as a team, all of these are important and wonderful skills. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to, to Gary for uh, his Dungeon Scouts project is because I think that it is such an important and powerful thing to teach anybody, not just children, but anybody, to, to, to be able to have those skills. They're essential, something that you can use every day, and I think any opportunity to be exposed to that is absolutely wonderful. And anybody that does that, I really love to have them on the show to help promote that and, and, and get people, uh, listeners or other people, exposed to that and thinking about that. So, and, and again, see, now I'm starting to go on again because <laughs> I'm just so passionate and excited about that. I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. Those of us that have played a long time, and I know Glenn's in the same boat, there's just that that passion and excitement to be exposed to an entirely different world or have a new interactive storytelling experience that, you know, some people think you're just geeking out over something that they might not understand, but when they actually dip their toes in the water, usually they're just like, oh, this is great. So it's really wonderful to get other people exposed and on board and, and, and joining in the fun that we know exists that maybe they haven't even thought uh, could exist. So, uh, it's always, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's not like, uh, oh, good, we're recruiting a new one. No, it's, 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 just, it's, it's just such a wonderful, powerful thing to, to do interactive storytelling, and it's, it's just something that – and that's what this show is all about, and that's why I wanted to do this is because it is something that we're so passionate about, and to share that passion with other people and to get them to understand why that passion is the way it is and, and what – it can do for others, I think, is very important. So, and that's why I want to have you on again is to talk about other aspects of your career and some of the other things that you've been a part of, um, the writing and everything else, and and there are other bits of passion that can be found there too. And I want to talk about that as well. So, uh, we could do probably a three-hour show, and I know you don't have that kind of time just to talk about <laughs> not just. <laughs> Not just Trial of the Apprentice, but everything else that you've worked on. So I would love to just have you come back and and we can give that the justice that it deserves as well. That sounds great. Uh, Glenn, uh, once again, you've uh, joined me on another wonderful episode. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? You can find more about me on Facebook. Uh, I am on there. You can find me or you can find me at the BMW Bunker or Guy in a Bunker Productions, find me on YouTube, Guy in a Bunker Productions, 
Uh, and just follow me on Twitter, Guy in a Bunker. All right. At Guy in a Bunker. Sorry. Uh, that, that at, in case you didn't know that, then I would question why you're on Twitter if you don't know how it works. <laughs> the at was implied, but you have clarified that point rather well, sir. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, I want to thank everybody for joining us uh, at the Adventure Party. May your characters never die, and your adventures always be epic. Thank you, and good night. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.